the shortest podcast introduction that you've ever heard. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Kyle Stutzer from the Kyle Stutzer Show, or as some of you may know me, C-I-Z-Z-Y, live action from Kansas City, Missouri. And we are using a new platform today, ladies and gentlemen. So you might be um, seeing an interesting visual today, but I'm excited to test this out. So hopefully everyone is doing well today. Um, I tell you guys every single Friday that I'm going to come back with another fire guest this upcoming Friday. We've done it once again. Today, we have Dr. Shelley Cooper. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Cooper, and I'm CEO and founder of Diversity Telehealth. And the purpose is to bring healthcare into underserved, underserved communities using HIPAA compliant technology. A lot of words. We just want to help people stay healthy. Love it. I love it. Man, I'm so happy to have you on today. I was telling you before we uh, jumped on the call today that I felt like I've never had anybody in healthcare on, and I felt like it would be an interesting conversation to have to kind of just talk about how entrepreneurship can, you know, integrate with, with healthcare and how it can help it advance. And then also, you know, more importantly, tell your story. So with that in mind, let's, let's start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? Um, what was, what was your childhood like? Uh, talk to us a little bit about your, your upbringing and, um, how it led to you how it led you to where you're at right now? Well, I was born and raised here in the greater Kansas City area. Um, I'm the fifth of six kids, and so way back during the Brady Bunch, there's three boys and three girls in our family, so we used to call ourselves a Brownie Bunch because my maiden name was Brown, but that's that's where the similarity ended. That was that was about it. it. <laughs> so uh, Born and raised in urban part of Kansas City, attended uh, Kansas City Public Schools, went to University of Missouri, Columbia, and uh, uh, did some higher ed besides that, and just really um, grew up in, an, in a neighborhood where there was quite a bit of lack and where people weren't able to get to what they needed to get to, and so that led to me becoming a teacher and uh, trying to be in business. I was in En-ROADS. I don't know if you're familiar with En-ROADS or not, but it's an organization for uh, high school graduates and college kids for engineering and business. So engineering was not for me, so I, I didn't pick that. I chose business and so um, stayed here in Kansas City and, and did all those kind of things. I love it. I love it. And so you mentioned uh, going into education, but prior to that, what were like some of your early interests when you're like 10, 14, 13? Like what was what was Dr. Cooper really interested in? What were some of your like early passions or hobbies that you might have thought your life would lead into, but maybe didn't? I was always interested in education. I always wanted to be a teacher. For summer break, I would play teacher and my, my brother and sisters, the younger ones, would have to be the students and we'd have to you know, have a little sack lunch and all that. And I was like, you know what, this is, this is just not really what they wanted to do, but I kind of forced them to do it. But as I got older, business really intrigued me, either having my own business or working at a corporation, possibly being an attorney, a lot of, of business related thoughts. And so that's when I got into inroads. And so in the greater Kansas city area, they took high school kids, who had an interest in business or engineering or industry, and they allowed for us to have internships. And so my internship was at Commerce Bank under the Kemper family. 
So every summer during college, I would work at a different branch or learn more about banking. And I really tried hard. I got a business degree. I tried so hard <laughs> to be a cookie cutter business person and I just couldn't do it. I just, I, I tried, I stayed there for a bit and then moved on and uh, eventually got laid off from Sprint and decided, you know what? I've always wanted to be a teacher. I'm gonna get my teaching degree. So that's when I, the whole education thing started. I love it. I love it. And, and you taught for, was it 25 years? Is that what I, what I 25 years. I went into the class. It was the best job in the world. I mean, I love what I was doing. I loved where I was doing it. Taught in Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas, and then private school. My kids went through private school. They might have a different opinion. I thought it was a good idea, but you know, it was pretty strict. But after 25 years of education, and 10 years before that in corporate, I just decided, okay, what's my third career going to be? And that's when I earned my doctorate in instructional technology and distance education. And my dissertation or focus area was telemedicine adoption, delivering healthcare from a distance, which was nothing like I'd ever thought of before. I'd never even heard of it, but it seemed like that was where I was being pulled toward. So that's what I've been doing since 2014. I love it. And before we transition to that, I do want to ask, what do you think are, you know, maybe some some pluses or some drawbacks of private school versus public school based on your experience during those years of teaching and also having your children there? Like, what would you say are maybe the main benefits? I know there's a lot of, you know, I know I have some parents out there right now that have, you know, some five-year-olds, six-year-olds and um, trying to figure out the path they want to go. So maybe what would be your piece of advice or, or based off your experience, of course, um, of, of what you think are the benefits of public versus private or private versus public? Well, it's, it's so interesting just getting into the public versus private type of, and then it can be a public and private because most of my kids had a combination of the two. They started in public school. And then at one time, uh, Walmart, the Walton family had some kind of, um, lottery where you could try to get into private schools and they would pay a portion of the tuition and the parent would pay a portion of the tuition. So I did that. So I was working at a public school, but my kids were going to school at a private school. And it's just by a fluke. One day I went in to pick them up and they said, our computer teacher's leaving. Are you interested? And I was like, okay. Cause I was teaching computer apps in the public school. But my idea was that a private school was going to give them better education, better environment, better supplies, that everything would be much better than a public school. Some of that was right, some of it not so much. In a public school, you see everybody, there's a lot more public funding, government funding, lots of opportunities. Uh, in the private school setting, um, it's a very, it was a very close-knit environment. So if you started there from the beginning, like pre-K, then you grew up with your classmates and it was a very close-knit environment. I brought my daughters in in fourth and sixth grade when all of those relationships had already been formed. So they had a really difficult time fitting in and they felt like they were, they missed out on all those formative years. And along with the kids having all those relationships already formed, the parents had all those relationships formed as well. So I didn't have the same connection with a lot of the families in the same way. I was their child's teacher, so they were kind to me, but I I didn't start out in the same way that they did. So I think if someone's thinking about 
private school versus public school, they need to consider also most private schools have a higher um, grading scale. So in a, in a private school, it was like 94 is an A, 87 is a B, 75 is a C, and 68 or something like that percentage is a D. So if you're coming from a public school with a 90, 80, 70, 60, not only are you being graded on a higher level, but the information is coming at you at a faster pace and you're in a different environment and they usually put religion in because this was a Catholic school that we went to. So it's a lot to consider. It's, it's pluses and minuses to both, I think. Lord knows I would have been one of the D students if I would have had a good... <laughs> I, I was coasting by on those 68%. So I was like, all right, we're moving. We're moving, Dad. My dad was a computer teacher as well for about 30 years in the independent school district. Uh, for a little a little bit in the Kansas City School District, I don't remember what elementary school he taught at. That was like maybe early 2000s, late 90s, but I can't quite remember when that was. So, um, But I love that. I love that. Before we transition out of the education portion uh, of the seasons of life you've experienced, um, I, would like, I, I would like to ask, um, what are some lessons that you learned from the children or from the youth um, during your experience? A lot of times the teacher themselves is, you know, who we look at as providing knowledge, providing value, but what value or what experiences or relationships did you build with the children that helped teach you something that you applied to your personal life? You know, I'm so glad you asked that because sometimes as teachers, especially sometimes as old, old school, I consider myself old school teacher, we go to school for a long time, we pay a whole lot of money, and we consider ourselves to be experts at what we're teaching. And we kind of put ourselves on a pedestal. I'm, I'm speaking figuratively as a we, I'm not saying everybody, but I'm thinking, okay, I've got all this knowledge. I worked in corporate for 10 years. I've got this business degree. I've got this master's of arts in teaching, all of this. So I, I, I know it all in my mind. And I know that sounds bad, but you have to come, at least I felt like I had to go into the classroom feeling like I was an expert. There was one day in particular, and I always taught the kids Microsoft Office, PowerPoint, and, and Excel. And there was one point where one of the students said, because I gave an instruction, and they said, no, you can do it the other way. And I'm like, uh, no, this is the way we do it. And at the time, it was Mrs. Cooper, Mrs. Cooper's classroom. But I know another way that we can do such and such. And then people looking at him and then they're looking at me like, what's it going to be? It was like showdown and OK Corral. Who's going to win? And at one point I was like, well, I can't believe this kid is questioning me. And I'm the authority in this classroom and people should listen to me. And then I thought, you know what? Maybe he knows what he's talking about. And he taught me a completely different way how to work with images and a completely different way to save some things. And that point was was humbling. But then I had to think, you know, as teachers, we're learning every day just like the kids are learning. And we have to leave ourselves open, our egos. We need to check them at the door. It's difficult, but get to a point where we realize we can learn from anybody and everybody. And this young kid, I mean, he didn't go around like, yeah, I got her. I got her. He wasn't like that at all. He was like, well, let me show you how I normally do this. And it's kind of a different way. So that was really one of those learning experiences I'll take with me forever. And I appreciated that. I'm I not going to get that. his name, but I, he knows me. <laughs> Shout out to you. <laughs> Shout out to you. Um, I love that. I love that a lot. Um, so, so talk about you know, 2014, or I guess it would have been a little bit prior to that where you decided to transition out of education and move into uh, technology and, and healthcare and really dive into that. Where, where, where did that inspiration come from? How did telehealth come into your mind? Like, talk about your introduction to that world and, and then making the decision to 
uh, officially commit to the transition? Well, it was really kind of a fluke because as teachers, we have to get so many um, higher education hours to maintain our license. And every time it's time for us to, to recertify, we have to turn in these hours that we're getting, you know, different random classes that we're taking. But I thought, why am I taking all these random classes? Why don't I take some classes that lead to another degree? And I already had a bachelor's, already had a teaching degree, already had a master's. And some friends were suggesting, why don't you get another master's? I'm like, why would I do that? Why would I get two masters? If I'm going to spend that much money, somebody's going to call me doctor something. I'm going to be doctor, I don't know who, but I'm going to be doctor over something. And so continuing that education, um, I went into instructional technology and distance education because that blends education and technology together, which is what I was already doing because I was a computer teacher. So my original idea was distance learning labs in the Kansas City Public Schools. Everything was great. The dissertation was going well. And then Kansas City, Missouri Public Schools lost their accreditation. And when that happened, a lot of the, the subjects that I had been working with were no longer employed with Kansas City Public Schools. They, they had to move on. They felt they needed to go and, and spread their wings somewhere else. So they were at my whole dissertation down the tubes. So I had to start over. And in doing that, I still wanted to help people. I feel like that's my job. I need to help people. I have to, I've tried not to do it. And I always end up coming back to it. So how else can I help people? I'm kind of not, I've gone as far as I want to go in education. I didn't want to be a principal. I didn't want to be a, a superintendent or an administrator. What else can I do to help people? People need education. People need food. People need health care. So I decided to try delivery of a service from a distance instead of it being education, being technology and healthcare. And that's how the telemedicine transition took place. And so at University, uh, Nova Southeastern University in Florida, they were one of the few universities in the nation that offered a blended program where I could study from a distance and go there every year for residency and learn about something new and earn a doctorate in that area. So that's how I made the transition from education to telehealth. I love it. Can you kind of share maybe what were some of the challenges? I don't know how your children were at that time. So going back to school, um, talk about like being in this, I know, I know you laughed at me using this word earlier, but I'm using again, new season of life and, and making the decision to, you know, really get back into the hustle again. Not that teaching every day is not hard as hell, but like mm -hmm. talk about, you know, doing something new again or going back to, to trying something, you know, complicated now or more challenging and, and just how that felt doing that at a different point in life. It was definitely a learning experience because I, like I said, I'm old school, pencil, paper, I write, I write everything down, but it was getting to a, a, a thought process of, I'm going to be in class with other people that are much younger than I am. That was my thought. But that really wasn't true because on the doctoral level, most of those people have earned their bachelor's and their master's. And when they're going for their doctorate, most everybody was about my same age. There were actually some people there much, much older. And this was a life goal of theirs to get their doctorate. It was really difficult because my kids are, there's an 11 year span between my middle daughter and my youngest son. And so when I was thinking about going back to school, they were in high school. And then my son came along, which was a wonderful blessing, because <laughs> if he happens to hear this, a wonderful blessing, but it also took me back to, I've got to be home at a certain time because I'm watching 
and, and feeding and clothing and bathing and all that. So it was that struggle. So my husband really picked up the slack and he was really involved with uh, my son for soccer and all those kinds of things, which gave me some free time. But there were a lot of soccer games where I was sitting in my car reading and all the other soccer moms were out on the field cheering their sons on and daughters on. But it was a struggle to try to pay for that tuition and have my regular expenses and spend the time during doing the uh, lesson plans and grading papers as a regular classroom teacher because I also taught at University of Missouri, Kansas City, higher education. So not only was I teaching full-time and pre-K to eight at the Catholic school, I was teaching as an adjunct at the University of Missouri, higher ed. I was writing my dissertation and still taking courses for, which sounds crazy, this is a crazy time. And then all the stuff with being a, a mother and a wife and a sister and an auntie, it was a lot. It was a struggle. But, that that um, sounds crazy. That sounds crazy. You want to know something funny, though? And this is why I always pay so much respect to women and do my best. I've, I've heard a few stories like this, but never, and not saying men can't do it, but never from a man. And it's always been from a mother yeah. who was in the middle of raising her child and was just hustling and grinding for, for what she thought was, was the right way and, and what she thought was something she loved and, and mm -hmm. ended up being right. Um, so, so I love that. And I just want to, you know, I want you to know that I love, I, I love you for that. And I don't even know you. <laughs> so, so shout out to the hustle. I love that. Can you maybe touch on for, for someone else who might listen to this and be in that same, uh, um, period of life, maybe the exact same experience. She might be a mother out there who's trying to finish college or went back to college. She has a job and, and also wants to open a business and mm -hmm. all these things are going on. Any piece of advice, it can be whether it's time management or whether it's a, a mental thing about prayer or meditation, any piece of advice that you would want to share with that individual that's listening. All of those. Those those are all. A lot of prayer. My husband was in the pulpit. He was associate pastor at the church. So it was a lot of um, church-related activities. And then I taught at a Catholic school. So I was on my knees a lot there. I was on my knees all the time praying, please, please, trying not to lose my mind and um but I think, especially for women, we try to do everything right. And we have to come to the realization you're not going to be right about everything. It's not going to be perfect. And one thing my dissertation chair, Dr. Simonson, always says, uh, published is better than perfect. So if I'm waiting around for that dissertation to be absolutely perfect, that's never going to happen. Because as soon as you press that last key and save that document, new research is coming out that's gonna refute some of the things that you're saying. Or as soon as you think you have all your, your food for the week and you think that you're gonna have all your meals planned, one of the kids comes in and, and eats up something. You're like, wait a minute, that was for Thursday night. What are you doing? Or it's just, it's always a lot of moving parts and you just do the best you can with what you have. But there are a lot of resources. There are a lot more resources now than there were back then. But there are a lot of resources that teach you about different things on YouTube and and other places. And there's resources in terms of networking with your friends, with your colleagues. It's just so many more resources out there now than there were, I think. Maybe they were there and I was just too busy to find them. But I just think there's a lot of ways you can help yourself and help other people in the process. Love it. I love it. So let's jump into the business. So I know, I know, so is diversity telehealth kind of like uh, the, 
I guess you could say, umbrella company for other healthcare products you plan on coming out with or apps or consulting services in, in the future? I know I saw a few different things you're doing under mm -hmm. that. I could be incorrect, mm -hmm. but um, so yeah. is it? Is it kind of like the umbrella company? Can you talk talk about how you kind of have built out diversity telehealth and how you look at the, the future moving forward and how you plan to like plan things off? That makes sense. Sure, sure. So diversity telehealth is the first company that I started in 2014. And um, in about 2016, when I left the classroom, I started working diversity telehealth full time. And my office is in the Lincoln building on 18th and Vine. So there's a lot of stuff going on down there. And that's a lot of fun. But what I found, though, is in 2014, people weren't thinking about going to the doctor on their phone or on a tablet or on a computer. So I'm going out there trying to tell people, oh, look at this wonderful way that you can save time, save money, especially people in rural areas. You don't have to drive hours and hours. And people are looking at me like I was nuts. You mean, how do we know who these doctors are? Are they real doctors? Are they, do they really know what they're doing? And why is it so inexpensive? Well, a lot of times telehealth is less inexpensive because you don't have to have the doctor drive to where you are. And sometimes a doctor can fill in spaces with telehealth visits. So what I did was when I started Diversity Telehealth, I thought all these people would become running to use telehealth. Because when I, just as I was leaving the school, I was talking to people and they said, oh, well, yeah, we definitely will use your service. So I talked to this person, that person, that person. I thought, oh, wow, well, I got it made. I'm going to go ahead and quit this job. And then all these customers are just going to come running toward me. Nope, didn't happen. So as soon as I quit the job and I go to all the other people and tell them, hey, you know, you said you were going to use my service. I'm doing this full time now. Well, uh, I have to check with so-and-so and, -so and uh, we need to check our budget. So rule number one, don't quit your day job until you're making so much money on your side hustle that at least they balance out or there's not enough time to do both. And, so that's, that would be, a, and that's a major key. <laughs> that is That is big. It's taken me years and COVID to get to where I am right now because in 2016, 2017, I'm still working. I have clients here and there. A lot of the hospitals and schools are, are some of my best clients. Uh, Kansas City Public Schools named me their diversity or their telehealth partner. St. Teresa's Academy is one of my larger clients. So a lot of the schools are, are using telehealth, but there was not a clear picture as to how we could use it until COVID hit because People needed to go into their doctor's offices for different procedures, and they still do. A lot of things still need to be done face-to-face. -face. But quite a few, especially when COVID hit, we realized that telehealth is a very good support system for the mainstream of healthcare. Now, there are a lot of procedures, needle sticks, and anything that requires touch-on-touch, you can't do that right, yourself. Right. So don't try to take a scalpel and try to <laughs> please operate on yourself. Don't do that. Don't do that. Telehealth is a good support and a resource for mainstream healthcare. So I'm answering the question. Did I answer the question? I forgot what you answered. <laughs> no, you answered. I was kind of, I was kind of wondering like how you, because I know like, well, actually, this is a better question. A better question is. What exactly does your work look like, your day-to-day -day work? Like what, you know, oh. the, the te telehealth and, and uh, you know, makes sense from the from the outside looking in when you just hear the word, right? You know, mm -hmm. you're like, okay, virtual healthcare. Like, okay, that makes sense. But what exactly does your, like, does your work entail? Like how, how are you, well, like in, in the nicest way, I'm not saying this in a real way, but what value are you providing to these organizations that you're working with? 
Okay, good. I, I like that question. Now I, I can kind of streamline it. Okay, so with diversity telehealth, we can I consider that to be the umbrella of the different telehealth pro, uh, products and processes that I make available. So first of all, there's telehealth consulting, and that's what I do with federally qualified health centers and helping them design their telehealth solutions. And then there are schools. A lot of times the, the students either don't have the ability to leave the school setting or they don't really want students leaving the campus to take care of whatever services they might need. So I provide a way for the students to be connected to behavioral health specialists during their school day or in the evening if that works out better for them. So that's the pediatric telebehavioral health offering that Diversity Telehealth has. Also, there are several people who don't have insurance, they need health care, and they need a way to have access to a doctor 24 hours a day. So my company also offers Teladoc memberships. And with Teladoc, then patients are able to connect with a doctor 24-7 on their phone, on their tablet, on their laptop, whatever they need, or just a, a POTS, a plain old telephone system. They can talk without audiovisual capability, just audio, to be able to get healthcare treatment plans from a physician, licensed, board certified in the state where that patient resides. They have to be licensed there in order to write prescriptions and, um, and treatment plans that require medication. The last part of what Diversity Telehealth offers is a platform called Come On Now. And that platform is what we use between the families and the providers, like say a hospital clinic or a federally qualified health center like Swope or Vibrant Health. It allows the, the, the provider, <laughs> excuse me, that allows a provider to invite the patient for a visit, either telehealth or face-to-face -face, using the Come On Now platform that I created and it also allows them, I don't know if you can see that or not, but it allows it allows them to see, uh, where's my phone? Oh, there it is. It allows them to receive invitations for um, a visit with their doctor. It doesn't have to be face-to-face. -face. It can be telehealth to fill in those slots. But the main thing that that to get across to the the public is that there are lots of different ways that telehealth can be implemented to reduce the time that they wait for a doctor's appointment, the distance they have to travel to get to that appointment, and the amount of money they have to pay for that telehealth visit. So between offering the consulting services, where I help them design different ways to, to meet with patients, to the teledoc option, to the come on now option, those are all ways that we increase access to care not necessarily for underserved populations, but that's really been my focus, underserved and underrepresented communities and populations. I love so, that. that and I, no, that was perfect. And I think you kind of answered my next question as well, but I'll go ahead and ask it anyways. Um, what for you is like the purpose behind you doing this? Like why entrepreneurship in healthcare? Why now? Like why? Why are you dedicating your time and your effort? And, and, and of course, I'm sure there's some nights of tears and, and stuff like, why are you dedicating so much to this right now? Like what is, you know, what's your philosophy on virtual care and, and, and telehealth and why do you find it so important to, to, to your hearts that you're willing to take so much time to put into a business? Well, um, in, in 2018, my father passed away suddenly in his sleep and um, since I'm not a physician, 
uh, and he had some chronic diseases he was working or dealing with. I couldn't treat him, of course, but I could recommend different things that he needed to do. But what we found out was he had doctor's appointments scheduled for just a few weeks after he passed away. So if he could have gotten to the doctor sooner, then there's a chance that he will probably still be alive. And so, and I mentioned to you earlier that I've been working with federally qualified health centers on their strategic plans for telehealth. And in doing a lot of that research, I found that they had really high no-show rates. So about one in four, sometimes two in four, depending on who they're going to go see, ends up being a no-show for transportation reasons. Maybe they just had some family issues happen, or maybe they just don't feel like they need to see the doctor anymore. So in my mind, I'm thinking when there's a no-show, why isn't somebody able to be seen in that empty slot? Why can't, why couldn't at one time there in 2018, when there was a no-show at my father's doctor's office, why couldn't they have called and said, Mr. Brown, we have a no-show. Let's call and check on you today. How are you feeling? What's your blood pressure? What's your glucose? All of that that could have made a difference because the coroner said he was he was dehydrated and anemic, but that when you're 87, that can take you out of here. And so, and it did actually. So when you ask, why am I doing this? There are a lot of people out there who have aging parents or they have children with chronic diseases or they're caregivers for someone who, who's chronically needing to go to the doctor. They need to have access to healthcare and they don't have it. So my purpose is, bringing this healthcare to people who don't ordinarily have access to it in any way necessary, even if it's just a cell phone, there's a way that their, their loved one can see a doctor sooner than waiting until they're able to get to the doctor because they might not make it like my father did make it. So that's the reason why this is what I do. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and that, and that is what you're doing with sure show, right? Is this sure show software? Is that correct? Okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> this is how that happened. So I was part of this incubator deal, and they said that I should have a separate company for the software that I created. So SureShow was that software that replaces no-shows with and late cancellations with telehealth visits. So SureShow, that's what it is, and it was its own separate company, SureShow Inc. It was its own company. But then one of the clinics came to me along with Head Start, and they said, we'd like for you to make something kind of like SureShow, but make it more user-friendly, because SureShow was mainly for hospitals and, and doctors in that clinical setting. We want you to make something for parents, parents of young kids who haven't been coming in to get their immunizations because of COVID. They're afraid of contracting COVID. It's difficult for them to come in. What can you do to make SureShow kind of more people friendly. So I scaled it down so that it's more basic and you just press a couple buttons. Do you want to come in for an appointment? Press yes or no, or accept or decline, whatever you want to do. And then it connects the patient to the doctor and they have a visit. So come on now is what I named the pared down version of SureShow. So does that make sense? Yes, So there's diversity telehealth, and come on now is under the diversity telehealth umbrella. And we're working with FQHCs, Federal Qualified Health Centers. We're working with Head Start. And we're wanting to work with a lot of other people who have difficulty bringing their kids in for their immunizations and also seniors who need to have their um, 
their wellness visits as well. So it connects the patient to the doctor on their phone. I love it. I love it. You know what I, I, I love and why um, I feel like uh, you, you got into entrepreneurship and will be very successful is you're a problem solver. That's one thing I've noticed throughout the whole conversation. And I think one thing people often forget, especially young cats like myself, when they're trying to get into business, they get so uh, lost in the glamour that's put on the Internet of what entrepreneurship looks like or on TV of what entrepreneurship looks like that they forget you know, that you actually have to solve a problem. And that's what business is all about. Find, find an industry, find a problem in that industry, provide a super valuable solution and show up. <laughs> and, show up. That's the part that man, people forget That's, that's the hard part, right? Up. Exactly. Show up every day. I love it. So, man, this is awesome. Uh, I want to go ahead and we're going to, we're going to, jump to to our last two questions just for time's sake so i want to ask mm -hmm. you um what does scaling look like for diversity telehealth moving forward like uh, like scaling the company to its next level if, if you know what i mean what does that process look like or in your head right now what is your vision for the company over the next five to ten years my vision especially right now our market strategy is midwest first and then branching out Oklahoma or Oklahoma, Iowa, Nebraska, um, those Midwestern states, and then hitting um, other areas, not only with our uh, come on now platform, but it works in several other areas. You don't have, it doesn't have to be healthcare. It works in other verticals. So think about uh, veterinarians during the whole COVID pandemic. So many people got pets that didn't used to have pets. Well, just because there are more pets in people's home doesn't mean there's more veterinarians to treat those pets. So there is a shortage of veterinarians as well as there are a shortage of physicians. So come on now, we'll work for them as well. Think about any other type of appointment that you have that you can transition to being an appointment virtually. And we've seen Zoom take over everything. So we know so many things can be done virtually. So that's part of the scaling process, other verticals. Also scaling it to the point where we're branching out from federally qualified health centers to hospitals and other areas where people need health care or they need some type of care and they can use this type of scheduling platform. We're HIPAA compliant now, which means that we, it's a whole, that's a whole other podcast, but with being HIPAA compliant, we're able to handle protected healthcare information. So we're really trying to avoid any type of breaches that might take place. So having those things in place, as, in addition to having uh, diversity telehealth as a registered trademark. So we're really trying to go outside of the Midwest, go nationwide and increase our verticals. And I think that's our scaling plan, which I don't know if I'm supposed to tell my whole scaling plan. I might have just shot myself in the foot, but I think we're good. Hey, well, let me know if you want to edit it out. We got time. <laughs> but um, I love that. I love that. Let me let me ask you our last final question today. I think this has mm -hmm. been really awesome. Like I said, this this podcast is really about providing um, representation in fields that you know young black and brown kids like like myself don't don't often see publicized or popularized and don't know that that's an option. And, you know, one thing is for sure, and one thing's for certain, there's a crap ton of people in this world. So, you know, there might be somebody out there who loves your business idea and just 
tweaks it a little bit and uses it in Arizona or something and is able to help people there. So, but they never knew about it because all they saw was rappers and basketball players. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad we were able to get you on today and you're super sweet and I admire your hustle over the past years and doing everything you've done. So first and foremost, I just wanted to acknowledge you for that. So thank you again. Um, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Um, so the, the last question I have for you today is in the last five years, um, What's maybe one new belief or behavior or habit um, that has most improved your life in, in whatever aspect that might be? Uh, most improved my life. I, w- I would have to say, and my, my best friend and I, we talk about this a lot. We need to be kinder to ourselves. And we also need to be more generous with the way that we treat ourselves and not feel like we have to go 110 miles an hour all the time because all you'll do is end up being depleted and sick and sad. So I think if we treat ourselves with more self-love, then we're able to love other people because you can't give what you don't have. And you have to keep filling your own bucket so you can fill other people's buckets. So I'd have to say, taking care of myself. And I say that now and I'm trying to think, okay, what did I have for breakfast? But in the big scheme of things, we have to be kinder to ourselves and gentler to ourselves so that we can be kinder and gentler to other people. I love it. I love it so much. And, and, and that's on that ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> thank you again, Dr. Shelley Cooper for joining us on the cost. That's show today to share your journey, journey, share your story. I'd love to have you on for a part two to dive even deeper in depth um, and, and talk more um, on the way out of here today. Can you share websites, social medias, how they can find you and how they can support you in your business moving forward? Sure. Sure. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, diversitytelehealth.com, where our website for the Come On Now platform is actually going to launch at the end of the week. So it's called comeonnow.io, comeonnow.io. My email address is scooper at diversitytelehealth.com, info at comeonnow.io, phone number 913-710-3818. That's about all I can give you. If you can't find me that way, I'll try to find another way to find you. At, at that point, you just ain't working. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure you tap in. Um, thank you again for this conversation. And again, ladies and gentlemen, leave a five-star review as that is the only way we can grow. Make sure you share this conversation to inspire others in your community along with yourself. And that's it from your boy C-I-Z-Z-Y, live action. Salud.